Welcome to the Six Ways to Sunday podcast, hosted by award-winning television director, documentary filmmaker, author, and speaker, Craig D. Forrest. Join Craig for the next few minutes as he interviews leaders, artists, and creatives about trends and insights shaping our digital world and faith-based media. This podcast is produced and brought to you by Matchstick Media International. Now, here's Craig. Welcome to the podcast. We are back again with Paul Bresden, media creative and the head of 454 Creative Group. Let's get back to the conversation. I want to ask you this. If the Paul Bresden of right now could go back 19 years when you started and give some words of advice to the younger Paul Bresden, what would you, what would you say to that young man? Uh, That's a, um, a good question. Yeah, I mean... So let me just preface it this way. Like, I normally don't like this question because it assumes that all of the learning that you went through could have been shortcutted. And I don't know if that's true, but if I was going to try to shortcut the learning, I would say that you've got to involve more people and more discipline into your growth process. Uh, And I'll just say it from my perspective. This is my learning. Um, When I started out, Uh, I'm not motivated or driven by growth or by money. There's no, I have very little ego. The way that I'm wired is I'm, I'm driven to help other people. So to some degree, I've built an organization in being the best number two for a lot of people. So a CEO will come and say, Hey, I want to, I want to achieve this goal. And I'm like, yeah, I can help you achieve that. And so I was really ambitious for the sake of other people, uh, rather as opposed to being ambitious for myself. If I had to do it differently or wanted to to fast track it, I, I probably would have invested heavier into some sort of business operating system like uh, EOS or scaling up. I would have been far more disciplined in setting goals and uh, bringing on like an EOS language to be a, a, an implementer. I am I'm very a very clear, strong visionary, and I've got really great ideas and can introduce cultural change very quickly but I'm not the slow, steady sort of disciplined person to build that into a team. And so when I feel like things are not going the way they want, I double down on execution and that creates a frenetic environment for a team. It's not necessarily healthy. I would say the biggest growth that I've seen in my own firm in the last, I don't know, 10 years has been finding a good sort of operations implementer person. That's the slow, steady hand of making sure that there's, you know, weekly one-on-ones with every employee that they understand what their role and expectations are, that there's a d- disciplined development learning path for everybody because everybody learns differently. I have a near photographic memory. I'm a voracious learner. I probably read four good-sized books every month on, well, I read, I listen to them on Audible. It's easy for me to retain that because that's how my brain is wired, but not everybody is built that way. And so you have to have a different path for development for every employee. Uh, so that's probably what I would have, I would throw out there if you had, a, if I had a more disciplined process and so, and I recognize the complementary person that needs to be in the organization, the visionary versus the implementer, we would have grown to this size in, you know, a third of the time. People always say, hey, the first million is the hardest. Uh, I would say it probably took me 10, 12 years to do the first million. It's probably taken me I don't know, <laughs> two, three years to do the next million. We'll probably be doing multiple millions as we grow forward. Like uh, the, the growth trajectory is pretty clear and set. And once you've articulated the plan, it's a reasonable way of getting there. You look at the growth. I think what's been shocked in the last two years is 
we're executing to plan exactly to plan and it's because we're really disciplined it's not just take every growth that comes your way it's let's be really disciplined about how we grow in a healthy sustainable way that doesn't burn out our team and so we actively say no to a bunch of projects that aren't our ideal fit uh, so that we can focus on the right sort of verticals it becomes a it becomes a really fun game of business right how do we do this in a way that gives life to all of us inside the team that we preserve enough time to have time with our families to have enough mental free space to do good creative work where we're not trying to sell 100% utilization we're not even trying to sell 75% of utilization in our firm as most agencies run we're really looking at what's our best and highest use what's the best what's the client that's going to get the best use out of this and then what gives us life and that's kind of what why we drive certain projects is it, it fulfills a desire for us to do good meaningful work while you're describing this it, it was a, a question that i get in my media seminars when i travel and speak uh there's always a good question and answer session um, after a, a either a session or a, the end of the day whatever it might be and one of the questions is asked me sometimes is do you ever turn down work do you ever say no to a client and I say, yeah, uh, sometimes I do that. There's a power to, and a good thing to being able to say no. And they are astonished that I would do that. And they go, why would you turn down work? I go, well, the person wants me to work really, really hard for very little money. Or I know going in, as they describe their vision, that um, the project we're going to do is going to lose money. And I'm going to invest as a small entrepreneur, a small production company. I'm going to actually lose more money than the money they're putting in. So I just say no. Well, do you always say no? I said, well, sometimes I'll just give them a budget that's so high that an estimate that they just, they, <laughs> I, I know they're not going to do it. They're just, yeah. they're just not. It's because they want something rather cheaply because I work with ministries and nonprofits a lot. They want it usually not true. There's a lot of great groups that uh, have, good budgets and, and do what I think is done right. But I'll give them a budget or an estimate that I know is too high for them. And they'll say, oh, okay, thank you very much. And they move on their way. And then the next question that's asked of me, Paul, asked of me almost every time is, well, what if they say yes? And I said, well, then I have a whole lot of money to do this project. <laughs> but then I'll look at them and say, nobody's ever said yes. And they just don't, They they a lot of times overseas, you take no matter what the job is, you say yes to it, even if it's a bad job. And my friend Phil Cook, colleague Phil Cook, he says sometimes it's okay to fire a client in the sense of, you know what, I just don't think this is working out for you. And I don't think it's working out for us. I think you could be better served somewhere else. And I think we just need to part ways. And a lot of ministries and nonprofits don't quite get that. And I got the sense that. You and at 454 Creative want to make sure that you're invested with the clients that you can really be the best number two for. I think that's what I'm hearing. Yeah, I, um, it's funny because the way that you're describing this like resonates really well, uh, especially as you talk about my, my, my parents are Russian immigrants. My dad is probably the hardest person I've ever seen work in my life. Uh, he's still like he equates not working with dying. So, yeah, you know, he's in his 80s and still working, you know, 50 hour, 60 hour weeks. Uh, and he gets tired more often and goes slower, but he still works all the time. So 
I would hear some of his stories after I got out of business school of like, hey, I sold this job uh, and I got into it. And, you know, my integrity was I gave him a fixed price and I got into it and it was this big sort of mess. And I lost all of this money doing the project. And and I think, oh, geez, like there's got to be a better way of doing that. And so that sort of spun me out on a road of like, what, what does healthy look like in a relationship? So we actually have this documented for our brand strategy team and they, they function as our account managers, but we actually want, no one wants to pay for account management. So that's one of sort of the tricks is we, we made them have a more elevated role of them setting the strategy for the organization, not just doing account management, which makes them have a little bit more billable value. Um, but to be honest, they should be providing a ton of value. Like when we first started, we would have to work, spend so much time trying to convince a client to do this project in order to get the execution work to do it. And we flipped that on its head. We started selling the strategy first. And then if they picked to do it with us or with someone else, like it didn't really matter. But in fairness, they would always do it with us after we did the strategic portion. And so early on, I came to this idea of like, well, success is having the ability to say no. And if you wanna measure success, if you're a small company or you're a freelancer, or whatever that is, you're a solopreneur, right? The measure of success that you should look at is you have enough opportunity that ex that exceeds your capacity. Meaning you have more projects in than you could reasonably do. And so your goal is to figure out which ones are the best ones for me to do. And that doesn't just have to be money. We actively say no to a bunch of projects that are very profitable. Because, and sometimes we pick projects that are less profitable over a project that is more profitable because it's in the industry vertical where we want to develop more specific expertise. And so you have to look at what defines your goal. So for us, especially when we're selling expertise, you want to be the person that shows enough work in that space that somebody looks at and goes, yes, I'm willing to pay a premium for you because you have more expertise in this. And that's really a measurement of risk. I know you can accomplish what I'm looking for because you've done it before. And so when you look at profitability, profitability should extend even into the sales cycle of what does it take to acquire the next client that looks like this? Because if every project you're looking for is custom consulting, there's a fair amount of mental headspace that has to be devoted to building a new process for that particular client that didn't exist before. So when I'm trying to scale, what I'm looking for is projects that my team has done. What, what's enough? And that's really the definition of expertise. If you think about it, it's pattern recognition. How many times have I done this before? Do I know what to do? There's probably 10 or 15% or 20% or even 50% that I'll have to iterate, but the rest of it, I already know exactly where to start. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so like you having the ability to say no is the mark of good success for an organization. Uh, I'll tell you another thing that's interesting that we do is we try to have really brutally honest conversations with our client. And that goes back to some of the, like we talk about how we implement faith into our like business, right? It's this integrity component. And so we categorize our clients every month. They act, our, our brand strategy team actually does it every week into, into a couple different categories. There's an ideal fit category. An ideal fit means they respect our expertise. We do what we say and they do what we say and they do what they say. There's execution on both ends. Um, let's say that there's a problem with that, right? Like we build out a strategic plan for them and we have to execute a part and then they have to actually implement it. Well, if we do all of our work, but they never implement it, that's the, that's the recipe. It's the first red flag that we're going to see because they're not getting the end value. 
let's say that a client pays you $10,000 to go shoot a video for them, but then they never get approval on the video and it never actually goes live. Guess what? That's not a healthy relationship. They're going to not be the ideal fit client for you because they're not going to spend $10,000 with you the next month or the next opportunity because they don't have the internal discipline to execute in a regular basis. You should know that. You should call that out. Yeah. We're not working with the business owner or the CEO directly. There's a defined budget for what we're doing. If we're working with the entrepreneur, it's only good short time as he's trying in the short term because we're trying to jumpstart something or cut off the bleeding. Right. Marketing or video, even in this regard, is rarely a short term fix. It's normally a long term sort of investment in some sort of communication or branding or marketing strategy. And so you have to recognize that if this is us trying to cut off the bleeding, then it's probably not a long term great relationship. So a good fit would be, hey, you use the majority of our services the majority of the time. I think that's a David C. Baker quote, if you want to go find him. He's a great resource in terms of talking through some of this stuff. So we have ideal fit and then we have nurture, right? Oh, another ideal fit. They pay their bills on time. It's a very clear indicator that they're happy with your expertise and your services. If they don't, you should call it out and talk to them about it. So then there's nurture. Like one of those two things are off. And what happens in a nurture thing? The easiest thing, if you're, most people don't even recognize it. They just kind of keep it in the back of their head and move on. Most people don't slip, realize that they're slip, the client is slipping into a nurture category. What I ask our team to do is to tell the client the minute it happens, hey, when we started off in this project, you were in this ideal fit category and you're like, it was a great relationship. I'm noticing that some things are slipping and you've moved into the nurture category for this particular reason, right? You paid us to do this work. We delivered it and then you never implemented it. And guess what? You have an invoice that's sitting open for 60 days. Tell me what's going on. <laughs> you just leave it on them to answer. That's right. It's going to be a lot of him and hawing and I'll let me get back. Let me get back to you. I've had projects uh, after 40 years in the industry where great intentions, of course, is everybody starts out with great intentions. It's the beginning of most, most projects and we shot it. And then it sat on the shelf. Like you're talking about, it never got sent out or was improperly promoted or terrible distribution. And then it didn't raise any money or didn't hit the marks that, the group wanted. And then they came back to me and said, well, is a failure and it's your fault. And I'd say, I delivered to you what you wanted and you didn't send it out there and distribute it and, and put as much effort into, into promoting and distributing it as we work together to create it. And they, because I deal so much with faith-based groups, they did not like hearing that. So of course, not. of course. So I, <laughs> who likes to hear that it's your fault? Uh, so, but, so here, here's, but here's I didn't, a great way. But, I, but I, did, I didn't know how to say you, you, you've fallen into the nurture area. <laughs> yeah. So there, there's another sort. Yeah. So let, let's let's circle. Well, let me address that first, and then I'll keep going. But. Where if you're that that's one of the quick learnings that I had to do in that is that I defined I started every engagement by saying what's your end goal, mm -hmm. and so most clients come to you self-diagnosed. Hey, we're going to shoot this video and we're going to make a million dollars in fundraising, and so or they don't say that they have that in the back of their head, and if you had known that you would ask a completely different set of questions. Have you ever done a fundraising campaign like this? 
Have you ever made a million dollars? Do you understand how distribution works? Here are all the elements that go along with it. So we started every engagement with uh, what we would call a desired future state or some people call it a crystal ball exercise or a, and we say, hey, let's fast forward to 12 months from now and everything has gone perfectly with this campaign or this project or whatever else. Tell me what's gone right. Give me the high, like, and we're sitting back together and we're grabbing coffee and we're getting high fives and you're saying this thing went perfect. Tell me what that looks like. What happened? And what we're doing is we're mapping through what they have in their head of what success looks like. And then we reverse engineer all the steps it, it takes to get there. And then we say, hey, listen, here's the part that I reasonably control. Here's the steps that you need to figure out this other stage. What I'm looking for is what can I control and where, where does my high five end? If it's at delivering the video that you love, that's where I expect my high five to end. If it's being a million dollars, then I need a consulting engagement for me to bring in the distribution team to make this thing happen. And I need you to know what to expect on a fundraising round of what all of this stuff costs. Because if you're trying to DIY distribution, you're going to have a problem if you've never done it before. And you can have the honest, brutally honest conversations up front of saying, okay, what does success look like at the end? Because I want a very clear high five when I'm done. So that's one of the tricks that I learned to implement. Yeah. The third category, which I'll tell you, which is the, probably the funnest category, and it sounds negative, but it's actually a really great category. It's a category that we identify as being just for the money. Now, if a client started out in ideal and, and ended up in just for the money, it's never fun. But if it started in just for the money, there's a really fun sort of conversation where you can have with a client that says, hey, we want you to do this project. And you get the honest, you get the ability to be honest and say, hey, I've never done that before. Here's how I would solve it. Here's my approach. Here's some similar projects. Here's examples of work that I think would be a good fit for you. Uh, and here's what it would cost, right? Because I've got some pieces to put into here. You've got learning curve in terms of working with an agency. We've got a learning curve in terms of working with your vertical. But if we did it, this is our reasonable approach. What do you think? And then we go about and we do the work. And so they usually adjust for the money client ends up growing into a nurture or an ideal fit. But if they started in a nurture or in an ideal fit or they started a nurture category and they slipped to just for the money, it's a very clear sign where we call that out and say, hey, listen, these things have slipped. And now we, what we want to do is have the honesty like, hey, if this is working for you and you're still happy with the engagement, then we're still happy doing it for this time period right? At some point in this relationship, you're going to call it or we're going to call it, and it's going to be fine. We're going to, you're going to find something that's a better fit. You're going to hire somebody internally, or you're going to find a cheaper resource to do this, or you're going to find three or four freelance partners that you're going to manage for this. But this doesn't make sense to us to keep paging, paying agency rates to do this level of work that we're not happy with, or doesn't seem to be the right fit from a value perspective. What do you think? And they may say, yeah, we get it. We'll, you know, we'll make a few months and move on. But what we're looking for is the honesty and clarity of we're not happy doing this sort of work long term. And it isn't necessarily the best value for a client. It's not driving the growth that we would expect paying a marketing agency to do. And so the quicker we call that out, the less frustration there is from the client in feeling like I didn't get full value. They called it out first. And so we want to be really honest and upfront in those conversations. And that's a skill to learn. Like people haven't learned that. And so there, it's, sometimes it's awkward. Sometimes it's really painful. People just don't want to hear it on the other end. But for us, there's some integrity in saying, hey, we did, the, we did our best effort in that. 
Um, and sometimes they fix it. Usually they don't. And usually it's kind of the warning sign where we call it out and we move on. One of those is there's a change in leadership, right? Like we were working with this chief marketing officer or this CEO, and now there's, they hired a new marketing person or whatever else. And we just normally raise our hands and say, hey, this is normally a red flag for us. Just know that you have the freedom to hire somebody else if, if we're not the right fit. But let's start ripping open the band-aids and making sure that we're the right fit for you because you've brought in a new leader and they probably have some different articulation or vision that needs to be implemented. And so if we're gone in a year, just know that we're sort of expecting it. That's okay. You're not going to hurt our feelings. Let's make sure that we're the right fit. So I think that that level of clarity builds a lot healthier relationships. Usually when we start an engagement, what I'll say in the sales process, which is weird, is, hey, for us, health is knowing when we outgrow a client or a client is outgrowing us. And so what we're going to do is we're going to make the promise to you that we're going to call it out the minute we know it, the minute we smell it. It may not be the exact right time. We may call it out a little bit too early, but what we don't want to do is to call it out a little bit too late. And when you ask us to do something that's not what we feel like we should be doing, we're going to call it out. You may still need it. You may be happy paying the premium to do it, but we're going to call it out so that you know, hey, do I need to hire another resource for this? Do I need to bring on an internal person or an intern to do this? Do I need to hire a different agency at a lower cost structure to do this one specific thing? And so that we want, we want that integrity on our end to say, are we doing the right fit? Because we want to be expensive. I've hired a team of really expensive people to do very specialized technical things where you don't need them for more than 10% or 20% of their utilization, right? Otherwise you would have hired them internally. That's why you hire an agency. You're hiring them for objectivity, right? This ability to see things beyond what you normally see. Your organization is knee deep and has seen the same things and had the same conversations 20 different times. There are points where you should pull your head up and say, we need somebody objective to come look at this problem and say, what's wrong, right? That's why you hire an agency. Or you need a very set of special skills. This sounds like a Hitman movie, right? This is taken, right? You need this special set of, of expertise that you don't know how to manage. You probably don't have the internal culture to help sustain them, right? Creatives are a special breed of people. Uh, and or you don't need them for, for something beyond this project. You don't need a senior level developer or a team of them to build out a website project. When the website is done, you move on. So don't go out and hire five people to do that. Let the agency do that in a much quicker timeline that's already managed and established in the team. They know how to work well together and they know your, your, your particular problem set. You're going to come out with a much better solution paying for that in a three-month period than you hiring them, onboarding them, and keeping them on for a year. Mm -hmm. So there's some really good, we, we know what we're good at. And that's, that's what everybody that's in this space should start to feel like they've articulated. What am I uniquely good at? And then when you've done that, you identify who you're trying to be uniquely good for. And that's the fundamental, like, that's the fundamental marketing strategy that I want you to have, that people will hire you, even pay a premium than then doing it themselves, because they know that you're going to do it better and faster than they will, and ultimately cheaper than they will. Hope you're enjoying the conversation with Paul Bresnan, head of 454 Creative, and we'll pick up where we left off in the next episode. So please join us. You've been listening to the Six Ways to Sunday podcast with Craig D. Forrest, brought to you by Matchstick Media International, dedicated to excellence in media through inspiration, vision, and education. To learn more, visit us on the web at matchstickmedia.org. That's matchstickmedia.org. 
Your generous donations, large or small, help defray costs for producing this creative podcast. Thanks for listening and subscribing.